Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. So, as we've shared, Advent means coming or arrival. And so the arrival of our Savior and all that that means. So we talked about hope and we talked about um, peace and joy. Today we're talking about love. One of those may seem like it's missing during this holiday season because it's so prominent and it's giving, right? Because why is it that at Christmas there seems to be more of this expectation that we're going to give, right? I mean, obviously, there's Amazon trucks everywhere. I've never seen so many. But on top of that, it's also this just idea like, oh, this is when you give, right? For some reason, our government even put taxes in a certain way. Why don't you do that at the end of the year? Why don't you do your year-end giving there? They've almost structured it so that when people give, why don't we just do it during December? And then you've got this, this idea that they're soup kitchens where you're, where you're feeding the pool. Why does it seem like... It only happens in December. And then, of course, since Christmas has to come early, and they start squeezing into Thanksgiving. And then all of these activities of sharing clothes or giving and giving and giving and giving, they all seem to happen in that window. That's when we always emphasize it. That's not an accident. It's not like they, you, know, you can make up these special days, you know, like... Hey, today is uh, actual National Flannel Day. You can make up these days, right? Is there a National Flannel Day? Must be. There should be. I will start that. I don't know what website you go to do it, but I'll start it. But giving, it's an echo. It's an echo that has just reverberated through the centuries because of what God did. Because of Christ's coming... And then we traditionally just say, well, let's just choose this month, even though, honestly, this isn't the month that happened. But because it's here, this, that idea that, that it's the aroma, it's the atmosphere, it's the echo of God's love, and in his love, he gave. And that's why during this time, there's so much giving. So this is the verse that you've probably heard more than any other, but this is the verse that we're going to use to kind of build everything around this morning. From John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And what sticks out to me is that God so loved that he gave. Because as we try to define what love is, God defines it for us. Because God is in his very essence love. If you want to know what love is, you look at God. And I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. That's not just something I wrote. It's 1 John 4, 8. It's all through scripture. It's just really plain and direct and to the point here. That if you want to know what love is, then you look at who God is. And if you want to know who someone is, you see what comes out of them. And God's very being is to give. But yet we don't think that way most of the time. And so 
And what I want us to do is to step back and look at what love is and also look at what it's not. So one of the things that um, I love to look at is the words. And so when you look all through the Old Testament, the way love, the primary word for love is ahava. And the beauty of words is that they have an origin. And so when that word was being thrown around, it has a root underneath it. So when you see this passage right here, God showed affection for you. He chose you because of his ahava for you, his love for you. As we've talked about before, the greatest commandment, it came from the Shema. The greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, to, and then he added, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in that word, that love, that means ahava. And the root of ahava, what makes up that word, is the word to give. And so this word ahava, it came from the idea of giving. And so what is love? It's, it's giving. You can talk about, I love you. But just saying the words is one thing, but you can see it. And so for us to say, no, God loves you. No, really, he loves you. Does that mean he feels for me? Is that No, it means that God gave. He doesn't just talk about it, but in his very being, he is love. I, I have to describe this all the time when I'm doing weddings. When you're, when you're marrying two people, they come in with all these emotions. Usually they're younger. Sometimes they're really young. And when they come together, there's this excitement and there's these feelings. They haven't, they're still in the honeymoon stage, even though they haven't even gone on their honeymoon yet. But they're still in that stage of all of these feelings. And so one thing I have to say right away is that love is not a feeling. Ahava is a choice. It's a choice that you're making that you're going to give to this other person. One of the other things I say is that love is a divorce from yourself. There is a divorce involved in marriage. And it's supposed to be you divorcing from yourself and saying, okay, I am now going to give myself up to you and all the things that matter to me. I have a good friend uh, who's, who, they were already married. And um, he's just, by very, we're all by nature selfish. But he grew up in an environment where it made him really selfish. And so one of his good friends pulled him aside because they were just having their first child. And he said, this is what's going to happen, man. Your child is going to wake up in the middle of the night. And your lovely wife is going to get up and she's going to miss sleep so that she can go and feed the child. And you guys have already said you're going to have those little bottles that she's going to pump and you're going to have those on the side. So when you hear the baby cry, and he got right up to my buddy's face. Like, right up to his face. He goes, I want you to see this face. And he got really kind of fired up and almost angry at him. Because he knew what my buddy would probably do. Go, you got this. And just do that for like years. For every kid they had. He goes, you're going to get up. And you're going to get out of bed. And you're going to love your wife by taking that child and feeding that child so that your wife can sleep. And I want you to see my face saying, Get up, you selfish jerk. And he just, and he said a bunch of other words that I can't repeat here. But he shared all that. And my friend said, man, I'm telling you, it works. Like every time the baby's making a sound, I see Scott's face. And I'm, boom, I'm up. 
Because I don't want to see that face. That's love. That's what love looks like. It's not a feeling. My buddy never felt like it. And I'm like, ooh, I'm wide awake. Wouldn't it be great if I was awake at 2 in the morning? No, he got up simply because he made a choice to love his wife. He had to be prodded in it, but he wanted to. He could have ignored it, but he made that choice. That's what love is. Telling someone you love them doesn't really mean that you do. And that's why, if you think it's an emotion, that's why so many of these relationships with couples and even families, they fall apart. Because like, well, the feeling's not there, so something must be wrong. I think I fell out of love. But that's not what ahava is. That's not what love is. To love is to give. And when you're chasing that feeling, you're just going to keep chasing. And you're going to keep wandering. So in this marriage, there's a decision. And in God's love for us, he can't even decide. It's just who he is. It's his love for us. Like your love for a child, you don't even get a choice in the matter. Because it's part of your nature as a parent that you will do anything for this child. That's ahava, that's love. And many times you're doing that without the feeling. But what we're talking about this morning is God's love. And I'm probably going to get louder than usual because this is so important. And it's, it's described so poorly in our culture. In these marriages, there's, um, at most of the weddings, I share this story. I probably shared it too much at the weddings, but to me it really defines what love looks like. And I think of it like God's love for us as well. And our love for each other is a reflection of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give to God, all of you. And because of that, then you'll be able to love your neighbors yourself. And so as I was um, first starting to do weddings, one of my really good friends, she told me this story of her friends. Now when I say her friends, I mean they're her friends, but they're a lot older. I'm not going to define old, because I don't want to offend anybody in here, but they're an older couple that were married for decades, and they had a system. And you know it's an older generation because they had a system where they'd always eat breakfast together. And they had this little table, and I think they replaced it several times, but it was always little and just had the two chairs because they were the only ones in their house, even when they had kids, that would wake up very early. And so we had a job where he had to work very early in the morning, and she would always make um, breakfast for him. You know, the juice and the toast and all of this. Um, but this pattern developed, even after they retired, where he would actually do the toast, and then she would do all the other stuff. So they'd come together, and he would always give her the heel. Every single time, you know, you get that loaf of bread, and then everybody takes it, and they pull the heel out, take what they want, put the heel back in, and then by the end, there's just two heels next to each other at the end of the loaf. And when that time came, it was almost like he would reach for it ahead of time, like he was trying to get it out of the way almost. At least that's how it felt to her, because, and it's, it just started building up. I mean, you're married for decades. There's stuff that builds up. And so this is beginning to build and to build and build. And so one morning, she's just like, honey. And of course, she's saying honey, but there's no feelings of honey there. Why do you always give me the heel? And he had this shock in his face. Not because she was loud. I'm sure he'd heard that before. 
But he kind of just stopped. He turned his head to the side, almost perplexed, like incredulous. Well, because it's my favorite part of the bread. He, he gave. That's what love looks like. He didn't know she didn't like it. They didn't talk about it. But for him, this is the most important thing to me when it comes to toast. And I'm giving it to you. That's what love looks like. But do you know, do you believe that God loves you that way? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're not talking about the heel of the bread here. We're talking about God's only son. He sent his son because he loves us. And that kind of love is almost too much to handle. You can't really take it. I mean, we just think about that interaction between the husband and the wife. Imagine what she felt like when she heard that. Like, you did that for me? Although it's really hard for her to believe he actually liked the heel. But still, it's that idea of like, wow, you sacrificed all this all these years, and you never even asked, you never even said, you know, it's my favorite part of the bread, here you go. Like, he just did it for her. He got nothing from it, except behind the scenes, he got scorned through the whole thing, until it came out into the open. God gives his very best. But here is one of the things that we confuse with love. He doesn't give it to us because of what we've done. You can't earn it. You can't perform for it. This love is freely given. But that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around because, well, we live here. And I don't know where it began. I don't know how it began. But I know it's so entwined, enmeshed in our culture that we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, perform a certain way to receive affection and love. It's, it's in every facet of life. My, one of my kids at one point um, was in sports, and we were practicing together on the side, and he was failing at this particular thing, and he just stopped, and he sat down, and he just started crying. And as a good dad, I thought, this is so much overreaction. Come on. And so he sat there crying, and it was almost like we had a, a, a counseling session. You know, so I did counseling with people, and it was almost like, you want a session? So we sat down there, and it was in a batting cage. And I said, what is going on here? Why are you crying about hitting a baseball? And he, he was crying because he goes, because if I'm not good at it, then people won't hang out with me. Now, now, come on, that's not true. It is. Because when I do really well, everybody's around me. And when someone else is really good at something, people want to be around that person. But when you're not really good at it, then people kind of start pulling away. And so for him, it was, in, it was ingrained in him, if you want love, if you want attention, if you want affection, then perform. Go earn it. It's in almost every facet of what we do. Every situation, how we look, how we act, how we perform, and then we project that onto God. We create God in our image, and we say, well, that's how... We don't even think about it. We just, of course, that's how God thinks. 
Henry Cloud said this, because I'm going I'm to go through a bunch of places where this false narrative is being pushed, and basically everywhere, including here. Because when you enter in, even when it's not there, we bring it in with us. But in a lot of Christian communities and Christian fellowships, this is what's being com communicated. You walk in, and you're told, God is good, you're bad, try harder. God didn't say that. We put that in there. We bring it into those relationships. We bring it into our marriages, into our family, into our workplace, into our neighborhood, everywhere, and including the church. I mean, think about it with our, our parents, our parents that love us. Even it, it, we, we, we take this thinking of how our parents treat us, and we put it into that model. We, do, we have a behavior that needs to change. Oh, well, you need to go to your room. Taken away, right? We're going to separate you because you didn't perform correctly. Now, I understand there's a purpose for that. I've done it. No dinner. Or nowadays, oh, you've done this? Now give me your phone. I mean, there's all of these elements of, of separation, of like, oh, you need to try harder. You need to perform to receive love. Now, of course, in parenting, there's a reason we do those things. But as, as adults, we move in and we take that and we assume that that attaches to our identity. It's meant to be about a behavior, but it moves into identity. Same with school. Our teachers give you an F for failing the test. Right? And so we look at life and we go, well, I'm failing this life test, so God must be giving me an F. We were in juvenile hall, and, I, and, and there were all these kids kids. And I mean, it was jail. Like, I don't know what your picture of is of juvenile hall, but it's jail. Like, lockdown, wall. It felt, it emanated jail. And these kids, children, had made very poor decisions. And most of them had made it over and over again, and they keep coming back. And in their minds and in their hearts, you can just see it coming out of them. Well, I'm bad. And so I failed the test with God, too. They know they failed it with society. That's why they're there, right? And so then they just say, well, this is who I am then. And why would God ever want anything to do with me? What if, and this may be hard to really wrap our brains around, but what if God isn't mad at you? What if? See, this scripture, if you don't know this, write it in your head, in your heart. Get the tattoo. I know some great tattoo artists. I'll give you their card. But God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. Who's sinful? All of us. To be sinful means to do the wrong thing. We all have, have gone astray. We all make mistakes. And we all will also sin. But God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us before. You don't have to perform to get that. God gave when we were a mess. 
God continues to want to give because it's His nature, because you're His. The reason that Scripture is filled with all of this discussion about sin is because the sin is destructive. And God wants what's best for us. Yet somehow we think that God wants us to do things for Him. God doesn't need us to do anything for Him. All of what He teaches us is for our benefit and the benefit of our brothers and our sisters. Because of His love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, how did you love me? I gave you my only Son. He came, He lived, and He died for you. Not to make you feel guilty or shameful, like, oh, look what God's done, and I'm not even do No! Just receive it. Just accept it. Stop worrying. Like, usually towards the end of the message, now, this is what you need to do. There's going to be none of that. So if you're planning on getting beat up today, like, yeah, now you need to go. No. Because the biggest hurdle you have is to actually believe this. To believe what Paul says later. I am convinced that nothing, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, I ask you, what would it look like if you were to believe that God isn't mad at you? But instead that God recklessly loves you. That's our hurdle this morning. That's what we need to try to wrestle with. I don't... Let's go back to the, the verse we started with here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there are consequences to our sin because if I decide to not listen to my parents and when I cross the street, I just refuse to look right and to re look left, then at some point, I'm going to get drilled by a skateboarder, a biker, a runner, a hoverboard, a one-wheel, scooter, maybe even a car. There's a consequence to making a dumb decision. And God's guidelines for us, His, His commandments are out of love. He wants what's best for us. He doesn't need anything from us. And so all of His teaching is to guide us in that direction. But yet we can't believe it. We're like, well, but, but... You don't know what I did, or but there was this, or but. You need to get your butts out of the way because they don't exist in the kingdom of God. In Psalms alone, over 147 times, it uses um, this word that means steadfast love. I never use the word steadfast. I don't think I've ever used it in a conversation. I'm assuming you haven't either. What it means, it means unwavering firm or dug down deep. That's the kind of love that God has for you. It's steadfast. 
all the stuff you think you've done or are going to do, and you're like, but God, well, get the butt out of there because it doesn't exist in his kingdom. God loves us steadfastly. Adam and Eve, think about what they did. Not just to themselves, but to us. God told them, this is what you did. But then you know what it is? He goes and makes clothes for them. He gives them gifts. He, he helps them through this process. King David. And that guy made knucklehead decision after knucklehead decision. After adultery and murder, God didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. But he brings him on a path because God loves him steadfastly. Brings him on a path to be restored because of his steadfast love. In fact, David wrote most of the Psalms because he understood, he knew God. And when you know God, you know his love for you. God's kingdom, the prodigal son. Those sons were knuckleheads. One actually stole basically from his dad. And nowhere in that do you see the dad punishing him because he loves his sons. He'll do whatever it takes to bring them back to wholeness, to completeness. He's not a pushover. God is not like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he loves us, and he will, he will recklessly search us out so that we can be whole again. And so he stood steadfast. Jesus was asked, what's the kingdom of God like? It's like this dad, that when his son takes everything and goes and spends it on stuff that embarrasses the entire family, Sleeping around, partying, who knows what this guy did, but we know it's bad. And yet that love never changed. Do you think the dad was happy about it? Or he's like, right, let's just push that underneath the table. No. Because he loves, he wants to bring peace, shalom. He wants to put his sons back together and get them in a position where they can be complete again. What, what's God like? He's like that. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we see Jesus up on the cross, and on either side are criminals. And the one criminal says, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not fair, right? I mean, the dude hasn't gone to church. He hasn't made it a, he hasn't gone to apologize to all the people that he's hurt. Probably why he's up there on the cross. He has, there's so much that's missing here. Aren't you supposed to do something? This kind of grace, we, we hear this, we're like, ah, yeah, but we want to slip that in because it doesn't make sense to us in this culture. But it's God's reckless love. And you know what? He's kind of in charge. He can do it however he wants. So this is what you need to do, right? Because you have to have that in sermon, right? This is what you're supposed to do now. You have to receive this. That may be one of the most difficult things to do is to receive this love, to, to accept this truth and to live under this umbrella of truth that God so loved you, regardless of what you have done what you will do, or what you're doing right now, God still loves you, and he will do anything to bring you back into relationship with him. 
to bring you back to peace, to shalom, to fullness. Why? Because He loves you. It's not just a feeling of affection. It's a, it's a movement of your entire being. And that's how God loves you. And if you believe otherwise, you're believing a lie. So for Christmas, the Christ Mass, this season is a reminder to us. And during the season, you don't have to earn Christmas. You don't have to perform for this love. You don't have to make this love happen from God. God is generous. God is gracious. God is Ahava. And God gave. And if you haven't got to that point yet in your life, this is that morning for you to receive that. When we talk about accepting Christ, it's not like, hey, I approve. You're in. No, when we accept Christ, what that means is that we are receiving this gift. Saying, you know what? I don't understand it. I can't. I can't fully comprehend it. I don't even know how to, I can never pay you back. But God, I receive this gift that you gave, that you loved me. These worship songs, everything we do is about this. This life is a life of worship because of what God has done for us. So it's not a matter of God is good, you're bad, now try harder. The one thing is to know his reckless love for you. And that will make everything else happen. Father God, we surrender to you this morning. We want to surrender to this love which is, it's just so bright. It's like we can't even look at it. So we want to look to the side. Father, give us the courage to look at you directly and to receive this love that you give, not just to us, but even to our enemies. So Father, I, I keep trying to find the right words and I will never find the right words. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our souls. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand if you're able or if you want to sit and worship, you can do that as well.